Hey, this is Adam with Mile High Stash. I'm recording in my new home. Um, it's in Boulder County still, but a little up the road um, in Longmont. And I'm looking out at a beautiful baseball park uh, right outside my window. My guest today is the great singer-songwriter Carrie Marin, a native of Montana who's lived in, in Colorado for a long time now. Um, Carrie plays what I'd call folk blues with um, um, as much John Prine as John Lee Hooker and, and a real you know big sky sweeping wide open uh, feel to the songs you know the, the makes them feel like movies the way um, Emmy Lou Harris and Lau Lovett uh, write and record um, it was an honor to sit down with Carrie and talk about his life and how the land speaks to him and about his upcoming album Innocent Allies which is based on paintings of Native American life um, paintings that he saw all around him in Montana as a kid. Hopefully you can hear him on the Colorado Sound a lot more once Innocent Allies comes out. Um, speaking of the Colorado Sound, it is by far my favorite radio station. And this episode of Mile High Stash is brought to you by Moncton Guitars in Broomfield. And I hope you stop by there soon for any guitar needs. Um, if you're wondering how you can support Mile High Stash and the various um, equipment and stuff like that that I need um, you can go to milehighstash.com make a donation or you can just Venmo me at adamice9 or you know you can also do stuff like leaving a review on Apple Podcasts uh, anyway here is my conversation with Carrie Marin and I'll see you on the other side Moncton Guitars has been selling vintage guitars, amps, and effects for 31 years and now has a brick-and-mortar shop conveniently located between Denver and Boulder, just off Highway 36 in Broomfield. In addition to a fine selection of vintage and used gear, Moncton Guitars also carries new equipment from major brands like Epiphone, Guild, and Marshall, along with a great selection of Colorado-built instruments. Moncton also offers accessories, lessons, and inexpensive but expert repairs and setups. So check out MonctonGuitars.com today for more info or just stop by. That's M-O-N-K-T-O-N Guitars in Broomfield. Where do you live? Fort Collins. Fort Collins, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How'd you end up in the fort? Hmm. Well, I, when I graduated from high school in Montana mm -hmm. in, I think, 81, um, I moved to Jackson Hole briefly um, until it got really cold. Mm -hmm. And I went back home for a couple of weeks, and then I came out to visit some friends Yeah. Uh, that were going to the music school yeah. in uh, Greeley. And they all they all graduated and left. I stayed. Yeah. I just never went home. Yeah. <laughs> so I eventually figured out that Fort Collins was way more interesting than Greeley. Well, I don't know of anywhere in the country right now that supports local music. In the whole country that supports local music like Fort Collins does. You think? 
oh my lord i mean i just played boko mx for the eighth time or something and i i just don't see that anywhere else you know like where like every venue in town every bar every like every restaurant even just had local music yeah and it used to, i guess south by southwest when it first started you know was, was like that was that. cool and now they get like metallica and Lady right, come right. And play and, it, it costs like a thousand bucks or two thousand yeah. bucks to yeah yeah we we would go if they asked us to be there but we this is getting around town in austin on a normal day sucks yeah, yeah. oh it's <laughs> tough I played at, at South by with the Yoppers, my old band that I was in, and I remember oh, yeah. having to. I had a snare drum, and then a stick bag, and then and like a cymbal case on my back, and walking from East Austin all the way downtown with that stuff because there was no other way. Yeah. To get there. That parking's like fifty bucks or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. But I'm sure you've played a New West Fest and and maybe a, one of those Thursday nights that they have. I've I've played South by twice. Um, I've played. I've played from the very first, um, New West. Yeah. And I missed some of them because I was on tour somewhere. Yeah. But I pretty much played them all. Yeah. And um, I've played all of the, um, Foco MX, and they they gave me a, a, a lifetime achievement like yeah, four years ago, five, well more than that. I don't know. It's funny they gave me this little plastic trophy. Nice. It's hilarious. Uh, I remember when Tom Waits got his Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, this big statue. Yeah. And in his speech, first thing he said was, "Can I get this in like a keychain size? <laughs> like, uh, what am I gonna do with this?" I love that guy. <laughs> so you've been in Colorado since you were about eighteen or nineteen, is what you're saying? Yeah, probably, probably eighteen. Yeah. I, mean, I don't. Re- I don't remember exactly. I've never really known how old I am. For like really? when I turned turned forty five, I think um, I thought that I was forty six. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I get to do forty five again. You know, I just I never paid attention to that stuff. Yeah. For whatever reason. Now, do you feel as connected to Colorado as you do in Montana? Well, yeah, I do. I've I've lived in Colorado now way longer than I lived in Montana. Right. Uh, but I still feel like a, a real solid connection and consider it home, uh, call, uh, Montana. Uh, and now, you know, there's more reasons to go up there musically. When I left, mm. there wasn't really much to do. What town um, are you from? Great Falls. So <laughs> I have only been to... Um, you know, like, like West Yellowstone, you know, and then I did, um, Lewis and Clark caverns. Yeah. And then also the, um, it's called Mammoth Hot Springs. It's right outside of the park. So I I have not ventured out into what really is Montana. Mm. I mean, like the open, sure. The open spaces. And I really want to. Yeah. Well, most people have played the top hat or, you know, played in Bozeman or Billings or something. Yeah. Uh, back in those days. Um, there were, there was like a, that movement, I guess that kind of originated out of Laurel Canyon mm-hmm. that was, um, sort of a Towns Van Zandt kind of feels mm-hmm. sort of like 
some weird uh, version of country music and rock music and bluegrass music. Yeah, yeah. So there, there was a lot of that going on, but all of the the shows that you could do are all 300 miles apart, you know? It's crazy. I'm from Pittsburgh, and it's so easy to be a touring band out there. I mean, my God, like, like you know, you have Cleveland a few hours away, and then Philly, mm-hmm. D.C., Baltimore, New York, Boston. It's all within that area. And when you're based in Colorado, it's like, where's the nearest major city? Maybe nine hours away? Yeah. Something like that? It's tough. It it took me years and years to realize this is kind of no man's land, and um, but <laughs> over the years, we've kind of determined that well, like we just got back from Rhode Island on Monday. Oh yeah. And I've just come to terms with the fact that well, I can be really anywhere in this country in two days, hmm. two days of my life, and it's typically sort of an interesting drive. Yeah. Um, we were in Los Angeles for about 10 days, uh, three weeks ago. And yeah, it was two days, you know, two days from here to there. And you drove. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I follow you and your wife on Facebook, and you are on the road. We I drive. Mean, you yeah. guys are all over the place. We what just kind did 9,000 miles. <laughs> what kind of vehicle do you have? Uh, we've got a Fleetwood. Um, it's called a Pulse RV. Yeah. And it is um, a Sprinter chassis um, with dualies. Hmm. Uh, so it's like 24 feet long. And then we have a little trailer. And I can I can get around in any major city. Um, we've been to... Who drives? I do. Just you the whole time? I, I kind of always have, even yeah. like back in the the 90s mm-hmm. uh, when i had a band back then well we we split the driving a little bit but i pretty much always drove most of the shows that you're doing are as a duo like without drums and bass and stuff like that now but um it it's really sort of just out of necessity it's yeah. it's way easier for us to kind of go out and blaze a trail yeah just the two of us and our dogs you yeah. know and um, we can go out and play these places around the country, no matter where it is. Yeah. And almost without fail, the venue will say, well, you know, when can we hear the band? Mm-hmm. So. Oh, then you come back. Then we can come like, back. Well, when you pay me twice as much. Or, or yeah, or whatever. I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, we'll, we try to do things <clears throat> with that in mind. Yeah. With, with uh, getting the band out there and it's I want to keep everybody involved and interested in the music and mm-hmm. it's really hard to do when we're out trying to do re- recon mm-hmm. and yeah and then that leaves everybody home to do whatever they can do you know mm. so so let's go all the way back you know you were born up in Great Falls is that where Billings born? actually in Billings yeah 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 so um my perception is is that it was kind of a dual life, a dual upbringing of you know, being involved in the indigenous community and then the military, too. Yeah, I was always uh, kind of on the outskirts of um, my family. Uh, my mother 
was Crow Indian and my father was Assiniboine, which is kind of up northeastern Montana, almost mm -hmm. Canada. And uh, we would spend a lot of time there. Mm -hmm. But I think to really understand uh, what crow life is, you have to grow up there. And uh, so I was always kind of on the edge of that. Because you weren't on the res? I wasn't on the res. Yeah. And like, my, although my dad did move around a lot. By the time I was born, um, he had just gotten back from Vietnam. So he got, a, oh, wow. he got his pick of assignments. And um, we ended up in Great Falls. And he bought a house there and eventually retired. And so that's pretty much where I grew up. Yeah. Just, what kind of music was around when you were growing up? Well, all kinds. Uh, I, I remember we lived like uh, 10 miles outside of town. And some of my friends were musician types. And uh, some of my friends were uh, just kind of, you know, athletes or stoner types or definitely um, fans of music. So we would always listen to to albums that were maybe left behind by brothers and sisters that went to the university. Yeah, certainly that happened at my house. Um, so that like my musician friends were listening to jazz and and classical music and rock music. Uh, again, a lot of stuff that originated out of Laurel Canyon. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, and. Um, and then on my own, I was really drawn towards the music of uh, New Orleans, hmm. although I didn't realize, I, as a kid, I didn't even know what New Orleans was. I didn't even understand genres. I just thought that music was music. I didn't know mm -hmm. that everything had an identifier, you know. Right, right. Like, um, but the, the first music that I played and sang was uh, Chubby Checker stuff. Nice. And then I just, like, I fell in love with Doug Kershaw's music. I, Doug Kershaw? I don't, he, I don't think I'm familiar with And He lived around um, Lafayette, mm -hmm. Louisiana, yeah. and he was a fiddle player. Hmm. And I didn't know it uh, in at the time, but that area where he's from, there's this uh, this music that has developed out of that region. Mm-hmm. That is unique to the to the rest of the world. It is like yeah. nothing like it. Gasoline lollipops have gone down to Lafayette twice to make music, and we've and talked I about just that. Love it. We, we record at the same studio. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Clay was just here at my house. Nice this morning, and I told him you were coming over, and he said, "Carrie sent me the nicest message out of the blue, just just about my music, and it was it was amazing. Like what a great guy. Well, I'm glad he got it. Yeah, yeah." <laughs> he doesn't respond to anything, but you know, he he does uh, receive it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's good to know. Yeah. Uh, well, I when we first saw those guys, we were just completely blown away. Yeah. And um, I I always wanted to uh, get in the studio mm -hmm. with one or two or all of them somehow, one way or the other. And we kind of did because we went out to record an album at Dockside. Yeah, Dockside. And then. I don't know, a month later, they were out there yeah. doing one. And and we talked about the process that they wanted from that album. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
um, a, from a totally purist approach. Mm-hmm. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I, I really love that they were doing that, and that is the best place to do it. Mm. That studio is absolute hands down the best place yeah. to uh, approach a project that way. <laughs> the two times Gas Pops have gone down to Lafayette were before I was in the band and then after I was in the band. So I have no exposure to that. But I do, um, you know, listening to your music for five minutes, you know, you you hear, like, Americana, and this Laurel Canyon thing is is really opening my eyes to the influences on your music, but also Zydeco and this Nolans. Yeah, flavor, right. You yeah. know, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When did you start picking up a guitar and writing songs? Well, I must have done that pretty early on. I think it was probably um, however old you are when you're in, like, fifth grade, mm. something like that. Um, there was a guitar left behind when my oldest brother went to college, and my dad always had guitars laying around. By then, I had been playing piano, taking lessons for five or six years mm. by that time. So I remember my mom started me on that um, when I was in either kindergarten or first grade. I can't remember. And um, I hated it. But I I didn't realize what uh, what the benefit was going to be yeah. decades later. You just thought it was work. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I didn't dig it. But I learned yeah. how to play by ear because I had a really terrible piano pe- teacher, the very first one. Mm. And I would watch what she did. Mm. And then I I could do it. But I, hmm. I didn't really, uh, I guess I didn't have the discipline to learn how to read as well as um, I should have. I kind of learned, but it, yeah. it kind of didn't make sense to me most of the time. But it still gave you background for when you picked up a guitar, you know. I could just pick it up and yeah. play it. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty easy. And so, yeah, I was when I started writing songs, probably fifth or sixth grade something mm-hmm. like that and then, then again those albums that were left behind were all like uh csn and um emmy lou harris at all? yeah emmy lou harris yeah. uh cat stevens mm-hmm. a lot of the the folk stuff that was sort of on the edge of being rock mm-hmm. um so I was really interested in harmonies. I was really interested in acoustic guitar. I was always on the quest for an electric guitar tone. I never really knew how mm-hmm. how that was achieved. I thought it was all pedals or something. You know? Right. Uh, there was, as far as people in town, the players uh, that worked in the clubs, that was strictly country music. Um and they would play like whatever the popular country music is, and then classic country tunes, Johnny Cash and Hank Williams. You name it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Oak Ridge Boys. And yeah, like the the current music, which was really not interesting to me at all. But I always liked Patsy Cline and like yeah. Willie Nelson and older stuff. Well, the '80s was when this whole like Ameripolitan country stuff started, and that was even you know before the Garth Brooks and Alan Jackson stuff, but it, it, it just had the, 
country sound, but then the production, the engineering was this sheen, this 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 like eighties mm. sheen, which when you look back you're like, How did Willie Nelson get into that? Because he even like made made stuff like that. Well, I I blame it on the advance of um, electronics because I think yeah. that at that time, stereo effects were becoming available, and when you put on headphones and played um, a keyboard or plugged your headphones into an effects processor for a guitar, everything sounded so cool, mm. you know. And but it was damaging. <laughs> that music's so dated now. It's yeah. Just, um, a lot of stuff from the 80s, like me and Cleo always talk about how, like, Born in the USA, that's a really good example of this album that has incredible songs, like, that are buried beneath this production. And, you know, Willie Nelson and lots of other people in the 80s also engaged in the, this ridiculous engineering. But the songs beneath them are still mm -hmm. fantastic. You know? Indeed. Yeah. So it sounds like you even recognize that when it was happening yeah you know it was a lifetime quest to try and figure out how it's done yeah i th i think that i could always hear um what was going on i i could identify um like the bass lines and i could identify what the guitar was doing and kind of separate everything in my head mm -hmm. and keyboards and even if it was buried under strings and a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. Um, but it was really the way that it's laid down and the microphones and the gear and the, um, the, uh, the, the simplicity of it. Yeah. I, I didn't know how to achieve that. I was probably already doing it because I had the most basic stuff doing the most basic things. Like a four track? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, or like even when before when i was in maybe grade school i would record into a cassette player yeah and then play along with that and record into another one so one the, like one of those big red ones with a handle sure on <laughs> whatever yeah. was around yeah, yeah. yeah. so i was yeah. multi-tracking yeah on cassette tapes uh, my mom probably had that stuff somewhere yeah it maybe exists somewhere have you ever worked with a like an actual producer a couple times on a yeah record? I've only done it once, and depending on the producer, it's amazing. It opens your eyes to uh, uh, things like not only the arrangement uh, uh, um, of the song, but maybe something like maybe the drummer should use brushes on this song instead of sticks and things like that, you know. But if it's not a good, good producer, then you end up doing all the wrong things, you know. It's hard to say. I always put my faith in somebody else because you know, I've been doing things the way I think it should be done with uh, less than desirable results mm. for decades. So I yeah. give it to somebody else yeah. for sure. We did it on uh, Dockside Saints. Yeah. Um, it's we, a beautiful sounding record. He really did a great is. job, you know. And uh, um, we did it on uh, the one before that, which was uh, When I Rise. Mm-hmm. Kim Stone uh, helped me produce that one, uh, and we recorded that uh, over at E-Town when they just opened that oh, great. studio. Yeah, uh, It was brand new at that time. Mm -hmm. And then this last one, uh, the album that's not out yet, um, I guess I more or less produced that one. Yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't really have much guidance on that, but 
Um, well, you've learned a lot over the years. So wouldn't you think that was the guidance you got? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I never know, but uh, yeah, uh, Trina Shoemaker really was the one that put it all together and mixed it. And so, if anybody produced it, I would say she did because she, even from Alabama, she would um, listen to things and say, you know, I th I think you need to sing this stuff with a better microphone. Hmm. And um, so we we figured out like where to do it, and she relayed what the chain uh, that she wanted used. Mm -hmm. with a specific microphone and I went and sang all the songs again, you know, for oh, wow. for a couple of days. Yeah. And I wouldn't have done that without her advice. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm gonna ask you all about that record and some other stuff. But first I wanna ask you a really crazy question. Okay. This is uh you know, it's sort of the uh angle of the podcast. But um you know you spent a lot of time in Colorado, so I'm sure you could picture a uh, very isolated mountain cabin somewhere. Been there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a specific town that comes to mind when you think of that? Um, Bond. Bo Where is Bond? I don't think yeah, I know. It's kind of, oh, what would it be? North of Vale. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I always think of Ward. That's the first thing that comes to mind, you know. There's cool stuff up that way, too. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So picture yourself in Bond, and there's been a zombie apocalypse, and your family and friends are um, not around, and maybe they're not alive. You don't know, but you're stranded in this cabin. <laughs> so you have food, and you have water, and you have uh, n nothing else but a crank-powered Victrola because there's no electricity or anything. And you can bring five vinyl albums with you. Okay. Yeah. Do you have five in mind? All right. Well, uh, I would say the first one would be Shadows and Light, Joni Mitchell. Oh, beautiful. Um, She's been chosen on, on this show now probably nine or ten times out of 30-some interviews. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's the first time that album's been chosen. Why that album? Jaco Pistorius. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, the band um, was amazing. Uh, it was like a an incredible uh, bunch of musicians that will n never be together again. That mm. that energy that they created will never exist again. And it was like who played drums? That band at that time, I don't remember. Uh, but, we'll have to look it up. Uh, yeah, I, I remember um, just him and Pat Metheny. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think the uh, the Temptations were singing background. I mean, I should look all this up before I I say it. But anyway, I yeah. I, I just love everything about that mm -hmm. album. Yeah, it's a live album. It's just like amazing. This is from your youth too. I mean, this came out in the seventies. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I. I probably was became aware of it when I was sixteen or seventeen, mm -hmm. and then uh, then listened to it uh, a lot, like constantly, <laughs> basically for uh, oh a d 
decade or so. So this, this it, you see this as an album that you couldn't get sick of, basically. I never will. Yeah, yeah. Nope. All right, album number two. Infidels. Yeah. Bob Dylan. So that, like, first thing that comes to mind with that is that that's another album that maybe, unless you were into it when it came out, you might have a hard time with the production. But it's got great songs on it. Well, um, I think that I became aware of that album when I moved to Colorado. Yeah. Uh, So I was like 18 or 19, Uh maybe 20. Um, Now, with my upbringing, although um, I thought that I was listening to a pretty broad mix of uh, recordings, um, I wasn't listening to hardly any reggae. Mm-hmm. Uh, just learned about who the police was. Just learned mm-hmm. about who Peter Tosh was. I had just become aware of Bob Marley. Yeah, it was like I lived in a in a hole or something. You know, I I had just become aware of the Talking Heads. Mm. There's all the stuff that was completely left out of my youth. Right, um, which maybe created uh, a really interesting outlook on music, Mm -hmm. you know? I don't know. But Infidels um, was really special to me because the the songwriting was just so intricate and amazing. Uh, I I like the, um, the rock and roll two guitars and drum and bass yeah. and keyboards I think that's like the ultimate rock approach that's Sly and Robbie it's uh, maybe Mark Knopfler and Ron Wood Bob Dylan gets chosen a lot but not not that record so that that's that's like back to back Carrie is is uh, a trailblazer here <laughs> with these with these albums because these artists get chosen a lot but these records are, are deep you know, well, they. I think they are. I just. Uh, I spent a lot of time listening to those, and um, I, I think that uh, probably every song on the Infidels album, I could sit down and play, mm-hmm. if not sing and play. Wow. Uh, some of them that I haven't even tried to sing and play. Yeah. I've listened to it so many times. Uh, do you cover Dylan a lot? Never. Never? No. So you cover Fish, but not, but not Bob Dylan. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I've, well, no, that's not true because on my first album that I did with the Atoll back in the 80s, I think, I did put I Shall Be Released on that, on that album, recorded that live with uh, the band, and John Magney played uh, accordion on it. Um, and I, I mean, I, I have performed some of those tunes off of that album, and then I've performed other tunes uh, with other bands, mm. like just playing guitar. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that whenever we had somebody sitting in with the band, like if we were in Minneapolis or we were somewhere away from Fort Collins, I shall be released would always be the one because everybody knows that yeah, song, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, I think that's just an amazing album. Okay, album number three. Album number three would be, uh, uh, I think it's called Will the Circle Be Unbroken, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. The one that they did in uh, Nashville. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one meant a lot to me as a child uh, because I was listening to a lot of uh, new bluegrass at that time. Mm. Um, I was fascinated with what uh, Tony Rice was doing, um, Trishka, uh, Hot Rise, mm-hmm. um, New Grass Revival. I thought all that stuff was just brilliant, and they were they were all like superstars to me. Yeah, and um, but that album was kind of took things back to its roots yeah for yeah. me you know it's a gateway drug but yeah you know? exactly mm-hmm. uh but to hear vassar clements do what he does uh with a bunch of young guys mm-hmm. um uh, yeah i just thought that album was brilliant mm. and um i learned a bunch of those songs yeah um i think i because of that album and uh, well not not just that album but that was one of the albums that really inspired me to use a guitar pick on a uh, pick on an acoustic guitar and try and figure out bluegrass tunes and fiddle mm-hmm. tunes and stuff you know yeah yeah <laughs> it was huge <laughs> that's kind of surprising to me because your music doesn't have that much kind of fast-paced thing it's got a groove i mean your music is so much about like a groove well, I was never any good at it. <laughs> just like, just like. <laughs> but, you know, I was a dreamer. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I get a chance to occasionally bump into some of those guys that mm. were in that band. I've never met any of the old timers on that album. But um, I have uh, been around some of the other guys and some of their children Yeah. now. And... I always think back to that album and those days um, where I listened to it as uh, the beginning of what my music would eventually become. That's where it started out as. Yeah. So the harmonies and um, the the sort of uh, country feel and like the... Uh, Sometimes, like the Travis style finger picking that pops out on that album every once in a while, mm. and um, it's just real heavy influence on me. Maybe not in the studio. I was always resistant to go in with one microphone. Yeah, <laughs> the condenser. Yeah, mm-hmm. but uh, I have done it, but I was always real resistant to it. So we got uh, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Yeah. What about number four? Number four would be the first uh, Dire Straits album, which I think was called Dire Straits, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, I couldn't, you know, I would only pick that because it was my first exposure to Mark Knopfler. Mm -hmm. And um, that that album kind of changed the way I thought about electric guitar. Yeah. And... Um, I would toy with abandoning the pick 
uh, mm. from time to time. I think there was a time where I I had to have a pick. I would keep it, like when I was playing, I could play with it, and then I would put it be between my fingers, and I could still play with my fingers. Mm. And then I could just like switch back. It would kind of like uh, sleight of hand kind of thing, you know. But um, are you completely self-taught? In the sense that I've never taken lessons, but I certainly, uh, I certainly uh, pay attention around guitar players and bass players and yeah. uh, piano players, um, whether whether if it's in person, if if not a recording. Um, I remember uh, we had a guy in the band. I can't remember who the heck it was that let me know that my technique was really terrible. And I didn't know, uh, what are you talking about? And it's like, well, you know, learn how to mute things. And it never occurred to me. Mm. So uh, that was a pretty good lesson right yeah. there, you know? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I listen to what people say and I watch what people do. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not self-taught. <laughs> I, I don't think so collectively taught yeah maybe yeah. yeah yeah the beginning of that first dire straits album is is such a boss move it's just you just hear him kind of messing around and then it kicks in down to the waterline uh, well yeah and all wow. the albums communique mm -hmm. um they're just they're all brilliant yeah you know and when we were at dockside recording um anytime you mention anybody uh Tony or whoever is there in the studio will go, oh, yeah. Yeah, Mark stopped by to work on this thing. And it was like, everybody's been to Dockside. Wow. You know? So the, I think the spirit of all this wonderful uh, musical knowledge lives in that studio wow. some, one way or another. You know, It's pretty cool. Oh. All right, fifth and final. Okay. <laughs> the, the fifth album... That's a tough one because I'm gonna have to throw out um, a whole bunch. Yeah. But there was a, there was an album that Stefan Grappelli uh, put out with David Grisman um, back, I think, in the late seventies. Hmm. Um, and boy, I we'd have to look it up. It's just called uh, Live. Stefan Grappelli and David Grisman Live. So, since I got it here. Uh, Why this album? Uh, because, I mean, I don't have to go through the players on that, but uh, the musicianship and the, uh, the command of the instruments that these guys had, and a lot, a lot of the band members were pretty young, Mm -hmm. at the time and um and it was totally 100 percent acoustic mm -hmm. and it, it was just astounding mm -hmm. and, and grappelli uh everybody's senior um and his his musical history throughout the years was probably what influenced all these other guys that were playing this stuff that kind of turned into dog music that has now turned into whatever they call it, gypsy jazz. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that was one of my first exposures uh, 
to that music that I can remember. Um, David Grisman, David Grisman had all kinds of interesting um, projects that he did. You know, whether it was with uh, Jerry Garcia uh, and then all these guitar players and, and different players throughout mm. the years, it was always fascinating stuff. But it was always on the uh, the cusp of being jazz or on the cusp of being bluegrass or or folk music or acoustic music of some sort uh, it was really inspiring yeah um, he really is you know in that venn diagram of a lot of different things you have the 60s kind of jammy san francisco stuff and then the bluegrass but then he also re- uh was really obsessed with django mm, yeah as well yeah yeah so you are obsessed or at least inspired by these paintings that are the story of this new album that's that's kind of not out yet, and you're not sure when it's going to be out yet. But I want to hear about these paintings and how that inspired you. When I was a child, uh, growing up in Great Falls, Montana, uh, in the 70s, I guess is when we arrived there, maybe 75 or so, uh, Great Falls was where this um, very well-known... American West painter whose name was uh, Charles Russell had his studio Mm. and uh, did a lot of his work from Uh, he had other places that he worked out of but that was kind of home base Mm -hmm. Great Falls Great Falls is central Montana and he was very very successful in uh illustrating uh, the Montana landscapes and Montana life uh, before um, you would see a whole lot of photographs of Mm. the landscape. Um, His uh, paintings were used in magazines on the East Coast to describe what what was going on in this mystical place called Montana. Mm. And inspired people to to Go head west yeah. you know uh on on charlie's advice which he ended up hating because he wanted montana to stay just exactly like it was mm-hmm. and he hated the fact that people came and cut it up and plowed it under and in his eyes ruined what was already perfect mm-hmm. But I was—I grew up surrounded by his paintings. Um, I went to Charlie Russell High School. Oh wow! I, I was like, didn't think much about it at the time. That how um, how we were growing up in a place where we were completely surrounded by his work. It was everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was in our school. Um, all of our parents had his prints mm-hmm. or. Uh, uh, sculptures, or it was literally everywhere. I was all around town in the businesses. The so state capitol has the most gigantic um, mural uh, that he ever made in in the uh, in the chambers yeah. in the capitol. Uh, so um, a couple years ago, I was thinking about doing this project, and I was really interested more in a production style um, 
and I, I was trying to think of a way to, you know, how can I use this, present it, and use everything that I have at my disposal at home, uh, because that's that time when we were all at home trying to figure yeah. out what am I going to do and when is this going to end? We had no idea. Yeah. There was no expiration date. Um, so I just, I thought I'm going to, I know all these paintings from when I was a child. My dad had all these books, uh, Charlie Russell books. Um, and uh, I think my son had possession of a bunch of them. So I called him up and I said, hey, you know those paintings, all those books, could you mm -hmm. drop them by? And he did. And as I started looking through these paintings, I remember all of them from when I was a child and I would sit on the couch uh, when I was, you know, 11 years old and thumb through these coffee table mm -hmm. uh, books of his paintings. And um, I, I remember knowing in some of the paintings what was going on uh, from my native background mm -hmm. uh, you could tell what was happening and maybe to a non-native it wouldn't make any sense you know but sometimes you can go oh you know I, I understand exactly what's going on there uh, or um, just his depiction of uh, that part of Montana the, mm -hmm. the surrounding area around Great Falls I could look in some of these paintings and go, well, look at that. I I know where this is, and I right. know where this is. Yeah. Well, my dad's house is right here, mm -hmm. or would eventually be, mm -hmm. you know. So it's almost like we're in the paintings. Uh, he he painted um, what turned out to be where I grew up, and I rode horses, and I, we were out in the middle of nowhere. It's just wheat fields, you know. I would, I would ride to no place in particular for hours or get on a motorcycle and just go out into the fields and mm -hmm. just wander around, you know. <laughs> he painted uh, my childhood playground, essentially. <laughs> so I looked at a lot of those paintings and um, I tried to uh, write the uh, backstory to that moment that the painting depicts and what might have happened afterwards. And... I did that, I don't know, 13 times or something. There's a couple yeah. of uh, instrumentals on that album, and there's one cover tune. What's the cover? The cover tune is a song called um, um, Killing the Blues. Who's that by? Uh, it's, it's an old, old song. Uh, my wife always remembers the name of the uh, the guy that penned that song. I thought um, when I was a kid that it was a Happy Trom tune because I heard the song first from a, a Happy Trom album that was made in the early 70s in New York mm -hmm. um, called uh, Songs from Mud Acres. And I just thought it was the most beautiful song ever. And then I heard um, that John Prine had written the song. Hmm. John Prine didn't write it. So, um, and then I just kept hearing it uh, throughout my lifetime, from time to time, um, people covering that tune. Yeah. Um, maybe the most successful one so far 
would be uh, Robert Plant's take on it. With Alison Krauss or just on his own? It's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's a really beautiful uh, recording of that song. Um, so that that's the reason that it's on the album because it's all that song is always been a part of my childhood, just like these paintings just like have paintings, been. Yeah. yeah. So. so it's wonderful that you have a story that you've you know. Literally written down for each of these songs and how you know it pertains to the paintings. And I hope that you end up with you know a vinyl album with extensive liner notes or like a uh, a companion book or something like that. You know because the writing is 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 is, is really um, insightful and and um, as powerful as the lyrics and the music. It's so cool. At the very least, that's what we want to do, but we're yeah. looking for more of um, a way that we can tour it with uh, with the paintings. Oh, yeah. Um, and if that means that they are on video mm -hmm. somehow, um, I, we can't figure out how to do it, so... We are reluctant to release the album just as the album. We want to include yeah. Charlie's work yeah. when we're on stage. So we have to figure out a way to do that. And Well, it would also be cool you know, to work a tour in collaboration with galleries and, and do some sort of acoustic show and then a talk. That would be wonderful. We're, we're in the process of figuring that all out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, while continuing to do all this other stuff that needs to be yeah. done but that's not going to be just a typical release right yeah we're, we're going to hold on to that every time we get an album done and and uh, mastered and ready to go we can't wait to get it out there yeah we've, we've yeah. been sitting on this one for almost a year now it's been mastered and mixed <laughs> and everything and i i am I'm glad I could hear it. I'm I'm honored that I could, oh yeah that, well, that I could have listened to it. Yeah, this, I wanted this you to hear it. Yeah, uh, but I'm in solidarity solidarity with Celeste. In mm -hmm. we're not just going to toss this one out there. We're going to hold on until we figure out the best way to get the point across. Yeah, that these yeah. songs are a soundtrack for these specific paintings. Yeah. You know? So Charlie Russell was a white guy. He was. He moved to. Uh, Montana with the help of his father uh -huh. uh, as a, a teenager. Yeah. But you wrote in the notes, you know, some things about how, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, you feel like he did capture the native uh, a personality in some ways, too. And there's an image of a woman, um, and you said something about, well, on the surface it might look a little racist or... <laughs> cartoony you know but actually he captures this sense of humor that was the big thing about charlie's work um that doesn't come across unless you know um his letters the letters mm. that he wrote to his his friends um around the world from wherever he was whether he was somewhere in montana or he spent a lot of time in california as mm. uh, working for film because he was one of the only guys that understood how everything's supposed to look. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, these letters, a lot of times, are just hilarious. <laughs> so his sense of humor comes out in a lot of the paintings, but you got to read the letters to 
be able to hear his voice. Did he spend a lot of time with indigenous people? He did. He did? He yeah. did, and he, he was welcomed by yeah. uh, a lot of uh, uh, different tribes in and around Montana, I think because he was a respectful guy. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So you talked about on one, you know, on this project being in solidarity <laughs> with your wife, Celeste, uh -huh. but I want to hear the whole story of being in solidarity with Celeste because, <laughs> you know, when did you meet and start making music together and what's it like to be in um, not only uh, a, a romantic partnership but in a band with your wife too? Sure. Uh well, we've known each other for decades. Mm. Fort Collins is a small town, right? Yeah. Uh, her uh, first husband played bass in a band that I played guitar in. Mm. Um, I think we might have played in two bands together, actually. I think we did. Um, and then um, there's this uh, group of uh, music lovers... Uh, that were always kind of in the same place, and it sort of revolved around uh, Linden's, which was like a classic kind of dive in Fort Collins for mm. for uh, many years. Um, it re revolved around Old Town Fort Collins, and it revolved around um, a lot of the musicians that played in those old clubs back in those days, and later on the subdudes when they moved to town. Right. Um, so I think we all had similar taste in in music and mm -hmm. um before the internet you didn't you didn't look at YouTube before you decided that you're going to go out and see something. Right. We went out to see something to see what it was, mm -hmm. you know. Uh so we're all kind of doing that, but you know at that time Fort Collins was only uh maybe 60 70,000 people. It was yeah. a small town. There wasn't much going on downtown there you didn't have a whole lot of choice and where are you gonna go right, check out music right. um, so uh, fast forward years later we both find ourselves uh, divorced and um, new life we started going to open stages together um, I think the first one that we did was uh, Penny Lane nice um, that's old school, right? Yeah, it's there. old school. Is yeah. it there? I don't no, think. No, it's that, gone. That closed up before I moved to to Boulder fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah, mm. but that's legendary. Uh, yeah. So, and then um, I was at the beginning of trying to uh, figure out what my next move was going to be after playing with bands for oh twenty plus years. Mm. I was really interested in this. Um, acoustic uh, sort of blues finger style thing mm. and I was at that time playing with a uh, an artist from New York her name is uh, Puta Fay, and um, she was signed to a label in Paris France mm. and I didn't know this at the time but uh, when I joined that band and started going to Europe with her, and she was a big deal. You know, we we would go to um, we would play these big theaters and mm. play all over Europe, and everywhere we went, she was like a rock star. You know, mm. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So I spent a lot of time sitting right next to her, watching what she did. And, yeah, 
And I thought, like any guitar player, I could do that, you know. So I was kind of at that point in my guitar world and songwriting. I was like, I think I, I think I could go out and do this, but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. I knew what she did, and I I had watched other guitar players do this. Songwriters go out and entertain and connect and have a conversation with an audience. Yeah. But I was petrified. I like you know. I wasn't any good at it, but we started that way. We we went all the way out to the West Coast doing open mic nights mm-hmm. and playing and learning any, how to banter. Yeah, and mm-hmm. lear, learning how to be comfortable in in front of people without yeah. anybody else. I would always played with bands, and so that was kind of my safety net. Yeah, yeah. But to stand up there with uh, an acoustic guitar and do something that you're kind of not uh ready to be out there doing yet yeah you know yeah i was totally petrified but we kept after it and um does she talk on stage a lot too she does yeah Yeah, well at that time it was just me i was playing um she saw so many shows she knew all the songs yeah so she's gotten up now we're a duo and Mm -hmm. um uh, we went through the same thing bands go through it's like okay we need this many songs to have this much material mm-hmm. to do this many minutes. Yeah. And um, then, you know, there's always a big push for that. And then after you got that, then you can relax and kind of fine tune the things that you do have while you're still adding. Work on your s- show. Songs or you just wrote a song and mm-hmm. want to add it. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to do that. And uh, Celeste has become... Uh, inspiring to me on stage just like when i'm standing next to anybody uh, because she creates this opportunity to uh sing these uh cool lines that i wouldn't otherwise do Mm. you know and it's yeah it's very inspirational I, i love it does she write with you uh we haven't written songs together yet and that um there are so many songs that that I wrote like back in the day that never got published mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't know what I was doing I didn't have a record company I didn't have hardly any advice yeah I was just writing songs and then throwing them in the can and move on you know right. and we're just going back and and realizing how many songs there are that are already written that you know that that aren't um uh i think they don't deserve to be in a garbage can (laughs) nobody's ever heard them you know let's give them a chance before we kill them (laughs) so i've spent a a lot of time in uh, new mexico Uh, uh, that's where we were living um uh, when my daughter was born okay and when i hear your, your music i mean i don't necessarily this might sound weird but it it doesn't sound Colorado to me. It sounds very New Mexico. It sounds like what people in Santa Fe would would just like, you know, jump at. Wow. Yeah. We we did spend time there. I don't know how inspired I was by by being around there, but uh I've I've always been oddly enough inspired by Nebraska. We just drove mm. through there again uh, last week and there's just something about the way that it looks that takes me back to wonder what it must have looked like 300 years ago yeah you know 
You like wind? Uh, well, <laughs> not with the RV so much right. any, anymore, <laughs> unless it's behind me. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Was, I think I find some of those landscapes really inspiring. And then, of course, when we go to Montana, um, I, I find that like a trip down memory lane. Hmm. I think I'm going to go up there uh, next week with a friend uh, to uh, take a look at some production um, uh, things that he's got at, at different venues. Yeah. Um, we're going to go look at the uh, the rig at Kettle House, and we're going to go look at some other sound rigs. Yeah. And um, But I get to take that, that drive, you know, and um, take a look at these things, and uh, especially, you know, with the new album that's not out yet, Innocent mm. Allies. Um, we're trying to still create a narrative for that. Yeah. So that's the place I need to be, you know. No, yeah. No better place than be driving through uh, um, that highway between Billings and Bozeman. It's just astounding, you know. Yeah. Wyoming's not bad either. It's just seen as a place that you drive through. But, you know, Grand Teton, and I mean, there's so much. Oh, yeah. You know. There's a line in one of your songs that says, this land is talking to me. So I, I want to know what the, land, what the land says to you. Well, that was written uh i think that comes from the very first song that mm -hmm. was written for this uh, album and i was at uh rancho del rio campground up on the colorado river mm -hmm. outside of bond which is kind of in between vale and steamboat yeah closer to vale but it's on the colorado that's where your zombie cabin is too that's there. the zombie yeah. cabin yeah yeah which they have removed the zombies uh, most of them, but um, I actually sat above the river, and um, you can hear the river. Um, you can hear all the sounds that uh, the earth makes. Mm -hmm. That's the the land talking to me. Mm. Uh, you can hear the wind. You can hear. The animals you can hear everything that's yeah. that's the land speaking hmm that's what that means that's wonderful <laughs> uh, so the, this past friday night i played a show up in jamestown and, and they let me stay in the caboose up there there's an old mm -hmm. train caboose that, that they've tricked out to have some beds in it and when i woke up the only thing i, I could hear was the creek and those moments especially like I've lived in in cities my whole life and just there's never a time when you realize there's no other sound right now ex except the earth and that's that's really powerful yeah yeah it's like that's when you realize the the very uh, small role that you play <laughs> yeah and in, in such a, uh, a a big uh situation uh I love that. I I like thinking back of like what I did as a child musically and what it's turned into um, over the decades and the little things that happened along the way that bumped me into a different direction mm -hmm. and that then something happened there that turned me into yeah. another direction and now the music is what it is. You know, what if one of those little things had been different? Yeah. And... um 
then that brings to mind all the people that we bump into throughout our musical careers. What if I hadn't bumped into that one person mm -hmm. or something, you know? We are just, um, we are such a small part of what we eventually end up becoming. Yeah, yeah. Um, without the assistance or the friendships or yeah. you know, the knowledge of all these other um, uh, creative thinkers. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you said, there's no such thing as self-taught if you're out there doing it, you know? Yeah, I heard somebody say one time that the, um, you're influenced by music. Some guys like to go out there and say they're not influenced by anything. And um, uh, and who I can't remember who it was that said that. It was like some rock star. You're influenced by something. <laughs> Come on, own up up to it you know are you, are you ashamed of the stuff you used to listen to right, or what right. <laughs> there are people who have these bullshit lines like when i was growing up i remember watching the pbs uh history of rock and roll this like 10 part series it's amazing and johnny rotten was saying i don't listen to other music i've never been influenced by other music i watch films and that's the so later in life because uh, at the time one of the things he was famous for when the Sex Pistols dropped in like 76. He was wearing a sh shirt that said, uh, I hate Pink Floyd, you know. So a few years ago, he was like, I loved Pink Floyd. <laughs> was, it was all an act. <laughs> you know. Well, that, that band was, they had their literal 15 minutes of fame, right? That is one of the great rock and roll albums of all time, though. It's only they only had one record, but goddamn, that's a great record. Uh, there were uh, you see that, and that's a, another thing about I was saying earlier about growing up in Great Falls. I didn't know anything about what was going on in New York City. Yeah, I had no clue. Or London. Or London. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I find out late in life when we were just out in Los Angeles. I was like, I should have been out here years ago. I should have moved out here. Yeah. I found myself saying that, actually, to a, um, a friend of mine. I was on the phone, and he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm driving around in California, and we got, like, ten shows to do. And, he's, and he said, well, how's it going? I said, I don't think I want to come home. Right. I think I think I want to move here. He's mm -hmm. like, nah, you don't want to move there. You can go there anytime you want, you know. So now I'm... Now I've gone come down a little bit. Right. You know, I'm I'm back in Colorado. It's like, yeah, he's right. I don't have to move there, and I can go there whenever I want. But I want to go as often as I yeah. can. Yeah. California is something else. There's nothing like it. Yeah. Do you feel a a, a big? This might be just just like out of, out of left field nonsense, but do you feel a big kinship with Otis Taylor? I kind of do. I remember when I first met him, and uh, I, th I think he probably wouldn't, maybe he knows who I am, maybe he would remember us meeting back in the day, maybe not. You two have both, you know, I mean, you both kind of do this, this roots blues thing, but with your own spin, you know, that includes so much life experience, pulling yourselves up by your bootstraps, you know, like, 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 just these decades of really like rich life experience. So I just see it a parallel. Well, I've, I've, I've been around him a couple of times and I've visited with him, although he's not a very talkative fellow. No, um, <laughs> I'm trying to get him to sit down here, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I, I bet he'll open up and yeah. it'll probably be beautiful. 
and I've heard his uh, his recordings, and I've uh, seen some of his shows. And when I first heard him, I was kind of on this quest coming out of that band in Europe that I was playing mm-hmm. in, uh, and I had this quest for uh, being able to play one chord songs hmm. with finesse yeah and um i i recorded a bunch of stuff like that and that wasn't like a rule or anything but i thought you know um i'm hearing all of this really fantastic soulful meaningful uh, uh lyric content amazing all over one chord um so uh, I think that that brings out all the players. I'm, I'm going to have to mm. make this pretty darn interesting, and it's going to have to come from my heart because I don't have a lot to rely on otherwise. So um, that's what I got from Otis is that um, he had that uh, trance... Trance blues. Yeah, yeah trance blues mm. thing going on, and I, I thought that was just brilliant, and um, I love it. You know, but I, I tend to move from, from thing to thing, right? you know, so I abruptly moved from, from that to a Zydeco thing to country. Mm -hmm. Makes total sense, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm super excited for this new record and uh, for people to not only hear the music, but the stories behind the songs and the inspiration. Uh, It also seems like horses are, are a big inspiration for you? Well, um, horse culture among the, the Crow Indians and, and most uh, uh, native tribes is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my, uh, my childhood, it was a really big thing. And it was, maybe I took it for granted because there were always horses around and we were always welcome to them. Uh, whether it was at my grandfather's house, uh, we spent a lot of time on horseback, or at my grandfather's cow camp, which was like way up in the hills and mountains. Mm-hmm. We always had horses, and uh, that's what we would do all day long. Um, uh, at my house, uh, when I was growing up, my dad made sure that I had a horse. I had two. Mm. And um, so... Uh, that that's always sort of been part of uh, my upbringing. And the well, name of the album is is actually. It's entitled after uh, horses. Yeah. Yeah. An innocent ally. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so. Yeah, uh, I think that 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 part of the album, uh, like most of the parts, is I explain things as best I can. But I'm not an authority on anything, really. You know, this is just my take on um, what his paintings mean to me, mm. and and what life in Montana meant to me. And you know, looking back on it uh, from from where I am now, I th- I think that I look at um, the the relationship between me and the land includes everywhere I've been all the way from mm. New Mexico up to Canada mm. along the Rocky mountains. I think that's probably what it all has in common. Yeah. 
but it's it's all been really important to me uh, and the the Black Hills and um, of that area too. Uh, but it's all had a, a huge influence on what I do and the songs that I've written and um, the uh, the guitar styles that I've uh, tried to pursue. Uh, yeah, it's all kind of rolled up in this uh, kind of weird, uh, long history of keeping all those things in mind while trying to drive 90 miles an hour with a coffee and a cigarette yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. your music is road trip music if there ever was and, and it's also it's it's american i mean i think of also los lobos i think of them that's an american band it's it's a melting pot and it's beautiful your music is that way too well yeah boy that's that's really really nice to hear yeah i love that especially since we were just uh spending all that time in in uh, california yeah. And now, just another band from L.A. makes a little more sense to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Man, that's probably my favorite American band of all time. And I've I've, I've interviewed uh, Louis, and I've interviewed uh, um, uh, uh, Steve Berlin, and, you know, but I, I really want to interview Caesar and David yeah. someday. Yeah, absolutely. I might faint, though, from I would. starstruck. <laughs> we... I opened a, a show for them at Washington's. Oh wow! And um, they so, smoke a lot of pot, apparently. I've heard. I didn't been, really see uh, a whole lot of oh, that okay. going on, but there's probably a reason for that. Um, <laughs> I I asked Nick Clark if he would come and play with me because I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna open this show. It's a sold out show in a decent sized venue. Mm -hmm. uh, what am I gonna do standing there by myself with an acoustic guitar for a whole set? so nick was like hell yeah man i'll come do that so he played i don't know he played like three or four songs with me which i guess that's half the set right yeah um we showed up and we did sound check and then their road guy showed up and he did sound check and then we went down to the green room and hung out and maybe we played some songs and had a pbr and uh we got up to do our show and the band still hadn't showed up. They didn't come to sound check. Wow. And then we got off stage, they still weren't there. <laughs> and then That's a James Brown movie. Just roll up, get out of there. <laughs> it was classic. <laughs> That's it was awesome. it was awesome. And then they showed up and they had all these people on their guest list and mm -hmm. those people were downstairs. Yeah. Uh partying and having fun and they're really excited to see the band and the mm -hmm. band shows up and they're in the green room for minutes and boom mm. they're on stage and it was a fantastic show yeah no sound check no nothing you know just show up and do it i'm like man these guys you gotta uh take a page out of their book i mean this is how it's done they've been doing it for 50 years it's astounding so yeah 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 well thank you so much for sitting down with me coming down to boulder and it's um, it's great to learn more about you it was fun uh, thanks for the visit i'll give you another hour then i gotta run i gotta fly away that was carrie morin um or marin because <laughs> It makes me think of the Bay Area, but it is Kerry Morin, and he is a great Colorado singer-songwriter whose new album, Innocent Allies, is coming your way soon. Um, 
You can check out Carrie at carrymorin.com. It's C-A-R-Y-M-O-R-I-N.com or on all the streaming platforms. Carrie's actually playing at um, Oscar Blues and, and Lions this Friday night, July 14th. And uh, I'm probably going to stop by because now it's right down the road from my new house. Um, hope you're in um, enjoying the summer, even if you're in muggy uh, Pittsburgh or New York or lush uh, Colorado or France or England, somewhere like that. Um, I will see you back here again next Monday, as usual, for another episode of Mile High Stash. I'm trying to go for a year straight. <laughs> see what happens every Monday. We'll talk soon. So you want to rise above duality? You want to transcend day and night? Yes, I'm old-fashioned. I just don't share your passion for ever change eternal twilight.